Thank you, Dave. Hey, uh, this morning we're going to open our Bibles uh, to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It'll be 835 in your pew Bible, if you have it there. What a glorious time of year it is. And uh, a lot of blessings that are out there. There's a lot of sadness this time of year. There's a lot of sadness this time of year, but there's a lot of blessings this time of year. We had our family Christmas uh, yesterday. What a great day. What a great day. And you know, the, the only or the most important gift is the gift that God gave us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate really here on Christmas is the birth of God's Son. God became man and dwelt among us. And uh, thank you for that gift. And as we, I had to step down here because I do not read in the dark very well. I don't read in the light very well, let alone the dark very well. So let's uh, just follow along as we read. This is, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that they have command, I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we do come to thee with thankful hearts. We thank you, Lord, for your love, for your grace. For your goodness and for your mercy, we thank you for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can celebrate uh, this season. Lord, we thank you for the commission to tell us to go in, to go out through all nations, teaching your word. Lord, we thank you now. We pray for Pastor Andrews. He brings a message this morning. Lord, the Holy Spirit would do a work in our heart and life. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Kevin. Well, this morning is our fifth and final sermon uh, concerning our uh, proposed ministry action plan for 2022 through 2024. Uh, we've talked about the vision of multiplying disciples. We've talked about, we've defined what those disciples are. What does it mean to make disciples? Uh, we've also talked about organization. We've talked about equipping. And this morning we are talking about multiplying. Um, God is on the move. Amen? God is at work. He's on the move in many, many, many ways. He is on the move to redeem a sinful, fallen humanity uh, to the praise and glory of of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he is on the move to redeem sinful humanity that he might fill the earth with his glory. And he is at work in countless ways, in countless countries, countless na nations, countless ethnicities, uh, countless hearts, countless cities and towns, 
uh, for exactly that purpose. We often think about how God has saved us from something, and we rejoice in that. May we never lose the awe and gratitude that, that Jesus has saved us from sin. He has saved us from captivity and bondage to sin. He saved us from his wrath. Uh, he has saved us from a Christless eternity. He saved us from guilt and shame. And again, such truth should stir our hearts uh, with immense gratitude and worshipful awe. Let's, let's never get over the fact that apart from Christ, uh, we deserve a Christless eternity in hell. That it's all grace. All of life is grace. But God did not just save us from something, he saved us also for something. And what he has saved us for is quite simply the vision of this church to multiply disciples in his power for his glory. That's, what, that's why, that's the purpose behind God has done what he has done in your life and in mine and in this church. It is to multiply disciples in his power for his glory. And that blows my mind. We just talked about how God is on the move to multiply disciples all around the globe to save a people for himself who will live and reign with him forever and ever for all of eternity. And God seeks to do that through people like me and you. That should, that should stagger our minds. We should never get over that fact that he doesn't just save us from sin. He then saves us to go out and tell others how they can be rescued from sin. And that, of course, is the heartbeat of Christmas. Matthew one twenty one, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will. Not he might, he will save his people from their sins. Salvation and salvation alone is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, as followers of him, he has commissioned us for something to go and proclaim his name to all the peoples, to all nations, that in Christ and in Christ alone is found salvation and is found forgiveness from sin. Uh, it's found forgiveness from the bondage of sin. Isn't that wonderful? That God could have done that 10 million other ways. And remember, flashback a while back, we did that beholding uh, series, and we were reminded that God is self-sufficient, which is to say, God doesn't need me. I, I love that passage in, I th somewhere in one of the Gospels. It just blanked my mind where it is. But the one about uh, where it says, if, if we don't preach, the stones will cry out. He doesn't need us. He can talk out of a donkey's mouth. To make it happen, right? Now hopefully, hopefully I'm not a donkey up here, but you never know. <laughs> you never know. But God doesn't need us, and yet in his rich grace and mercy and power, for reasons I can't even begin to explain or understand, he chooses to work through weak, finite, simple people like us. That's grace. That's amazing grace. 
That God didn't just save us from sin and say, have a nice life. No, he saved us uh, for the multiplication of disciples in his power and for his glory. And so that's, that's what this morning is about, multiplication. And by that is meant disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples in the power of God's name and for his glory. I would say to you this morning that making disciples is why God has put breath in your lungs, air in your lungs, it's why he's given you a mouth. That's why he gives you energy. It's why God has given you a spirit. Is why he's given you his word to send you and I on a mission to make disciples wherever we can, whenever we can, whoever we can, in his power and for his glory. It's amazing. Flat out amazing. Well, I don't know how good you guys are at math. <clears throat> never been, never will be my strong suit. Um, I can remember, though, as, as a young boy doing my multiplication tables. Can you guys remember that? One times one equals one, and one times two equals two. And I can do it all the way up to 12, by 12 times 12, right? I can't go, don't ask me to do 13 times 13 or anything like that. I can't do that, but I can do 12 times 12. That's as far as they taught me, and it was drilled in like day in, day out, day in, day out, right? So I can't do math very well or multiplication very well, but I can do that. Uh, what I want to do this morning is drill into us from Genesis to Revelation the emphasis that the Scripture has on multiplication. I want you to see that that's not just one or two verses in the Bible. I want you to see from Genesis to Revelation that God is about multiplication and that he's on the move for multiplication. And he will multiply his name and his fame and his glory. He will. There's no doubt about it. The question is, are we going to get on board with him or not? And so we're just going to make our way through Genesis Revelation, uh, have, have quick fingers, or if you're turning pages or if you're using your phone, uh, hit, hit those things quick. We're going we're gonna to think through some of these verses rather quickly. Some of them we'll kind of pause and meditate on. Others we're just going to kind of mention it and move past it. But I just want us to see uh, this morning how God is the great multiplier and the ministry action plan is just simply viewing that and seeing that. If you can think of multiplication as this, this massive river, right? This massive river where God is driving everything. And as our plan, we're saying we see that, we want to jump in on that and go with that flow. We're not, we're not over here trying to dig out a new river. That'd be crazy. That'd be insane. Well, God is on the move <clears throat> to multiply his name, and we'll begin right in Genesis. So Genesis 1.1, familiar verses to us, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I would say to you this morning that Genesis 1.1 is the line in the sand. The Genesis 1.1 is where the gospel begins. It does not begin in John 3.16. It begins in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is a creator, and he is not silent. He has spoken with truth, and that's truth with a capital T. That's truth that's life-changing and life-transforming. Genesis 1.1 is the most important verse in the Bible because without Genesis 1.1, there is no foundation for the rest of the Bible. There's no rhyme or reason for what's found in the rest of the Bible. So Genesis 1.1 is this majestic, 
breathtaking banner that's unfurled over the rest of Scripture, unmistakably declaring that God, this is God's world over which God is king. And as the king, it is his grand purpose to fill this earth that he has created with his praise and glory. That's what God's doing. That's God's purpose. So we read in in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, that the heavens declare the glory of God. In Revelation 4, the angelic beings cry out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? You created all things, and by your will they existed and were Created. So this is, again, why God made the world, to fill the earth with his glory, to, to stuff every nook and cranny with the glory of his beauty and his name. The question is, how does that happen? What is God's mission? How, do, how does God desire and intend to fill the earth with his glory? Make disciples, absolutely. Multiplication. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, we find the very first commands in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, it says, uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, and here's the command, be fruitful and what? Multiply. Fill the earth. So three different ways it talks multiplication. Fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now there's, there's a lot in those verses, and we over the years have looked at those verses a lot. Uh, they are just, just critical in so many ways for understanding our identity in in, in Christ and who God has made us to be. Uh, there's a lot there, but the biggest thing I want to say this morning from that text is that God loves you so much that he gave you his greatest gift. And the greatest gift he gave is the capacity to know him and to mirror him, to be made in his image. The greatest implication about being made in God's image is that I can ever imagine and which our world has totally lost and we are paying for it daily is this amazing truth that we were made to know God, to image him, to reflect him. That's incredible and I say that's the greatest gift because God is as good as it gets. By his will and for his glory, all things exist, and we were made to know him, to live for him, to cherish him, because he is the best of beings. That's that's a humbling reminder that we don't exist for ourselves. We are miserable when we live for ourselves. I'm never more miserable than it's me thinking about me. I'm not made to think about me. We exist for something so much bigger than us, and that's God himself. 
So Genesis 1, 26 to 28 is this amazing gift that the meaning of life and the joy of life is God. It's not about having a nicer car or a better job or a better education or a bigger house or, or the, what's that, that old saying about he who dies with the most toys wins, right? Like that's, that's, not, that's not the idea. It's not even the idea of who has the biggest present under the Christmas tree, the meaning of life is knowing and living to the glory of God as his creatures. As God's image bearers, we were not made to stay in one place, but rather God commissioned us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. We were to fill the earth by a recreation, so to speak, through reproducing Offspring, children, children who are more glory-reflecting image bearers. And I'll pause to say that I, I love to hear the baby crying because that, that's a baby crying to the glory of God as an image bearer. So God desires to fill the earth with his glory, to fill the earth with glory-reflecting image bearers who would then have more glory-reflecting image bearers who would then have more glory-reflecting image bearers and over time would spread out and fill the whole earth with his glory. This is stated beautifully in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And this command to multiply, I don't know if you've ever traced this through the Bible, but it's, it's everywhere. And so Genesis 8, 17, if you, if you turn there with me, Genesis 8, 17, uh, this is God speaking to Noah as he departs from the ark and the, uh, the flood has subsided. And so Genesis eight seventeen, God says to them, Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be what? Fruitful and multiply on the earth. Jump down to Genesis 9-1. Noah and his sons come out of the ark, and it says, Genesis 9-1, very similar language to Genesis 1, 26-28. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He says it again a few verses later in Genesis 9-7. He says, you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Uh, flipping over to Genesis 11, I'm just going to make passing moment of that. In Genesis 11, uh, they disobey the command. God has told them, be fruitful, multiply, uh, increase, fill this earth up. In Genesis 11, they decide instead to kind of converge and build this tower in one place, the Valley of Shinar, and God says no good, and he gives them many different languages so that they will do what? So they will spread out they're disobeying him, and he sends them out so they will fill and multiply and fill the earth. Undeterred from his mission to fill the earth with his glory, God in his grace chooses to create a people for himself through Abraham. Look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a what? 
a great nation. So you can hear a multiplication there, right? A great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Now watch verse three. That becomes a critical verse all through scripture. Genesis 12, three. God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the what? The families of the earth will be blessed. That's multiplication. God is saying to Abraham that through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now watch how this unfolds. Genesis uh, chapter 15, verse 5. And by the way, I hope you see how it kind of narrows. It starts with, we're all made in God's image. We're all supposed to fill the earth with his glory. We disobey. God narrows to Abraham. Okay, Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It'll multiply through you. So Genesis 15, 5. In Genesis 15, 5. God says to Abraham this amazing promise. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. How's that for multiplication? And then flip to Genesis chapter 17, verse four, where God says to Abraham and uh, has the the covenant of, of circumcision with them. Genesis 17, four, behold, My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a what? A multitude of nations. Look at Genesis 22, uh, 16 through 17. And again, remember, I'm I'm trying to drill in, like those multiplication tables. I'm trying to drill in how the Bible speaks about multiplication again and again. Genesis 22, verse 16. uh, God, God repeats to Abraham, By myself I have sworn declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. You're seeing it? Multiplication, multiplication, multiplication. Genesis 26, verse 4. In Genesis 26, verse 4, God extends the promise to Isaac, uh, the offspring, the first offspring of Abraham. It says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You can hear Genesis 12, 3 echoed uh, right there. Flip to Genesis 28, 14. And he extends the promise uh, to Jacob. Uh, Genesis 28, 14, and my, my pages are, are sticking together. There we go. It says, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. So the, the stars and the sand and the dust of the earth. There's a lot of dust in the earth. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And I, I know there's a lot of dust because I have allergies and I sneeze a lot, right? There, there's a lot of dust. But what an, what an amazing thing. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. To see God's mission right from the beginning uh, for, for all the nations, all the ethne, not just the Jewish people, uh, but the Gentiles. Uh, Genesis 35 verse 11 Genesis 35, verse 11, God says it to Jacob again. He's, he, he renames him and says this. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. It's Christmas, right? Who's that king? 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis 48, verse 4. <clears throat> Genesis 48, verse 4. This is Jacob blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, and, and Joseph in particular here, picking up verse 3. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I'll make of you a company of people, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And you flash forward a little bit. Um, Moses, or I'm sorry, Jacob and his family move into the land of Goshen in Egypt with a whopping total of 70 people. 70, right? But they come into to Egypt and the Lord multiplies them. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. Joseph has, and his brothers and his whole generation have died. Exodus 1, 7. But... The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So strong that Pharaoh gets scared, right? What we see there is, is God is keeping his word. He is God Almighty and he has declared he will fill this earth with his glory and nothing's going to stop him from doing that. So he's multiplying the people of Israel as promised through Abraham. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Israel has uh, come out of slavery. Uh, They are in the promised land. They're given the law to know how to live within that land. In Deuteronomy 6, 3, uh, God gives this command to them. He says, Hear, therefore, O Israel, And be careful to do them, uh, that it may go well with you, and that you may what? Multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, Flip forward to Genesis chapter, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah uh, chapter 29 and verse 6. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 6, and I'm skipping a whole bunch of other verses I just want, to, want us to see this in various parts of the scripture. In, in Jeremiah 29, Israel has not kept the law. Israel has been disobedient. They followed false gods. And as a result, God's punishment to them is he puts them into exile. And in Jeremiah 29, 6, uh, the Lord says some very, very interesting things to his people. But in particular here in, Gen- in I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29, 6, he says this. He says, take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage. Why? That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So they're, they're in exile and God says to them, that doesn't stop my plans to multiply. Have children, multiply. Don't decrease, increase. Jeremiah 33, uh, verse 22 Uh, we see God's covenant with David, who is one of the kings to descend from Abraham and Jacob. Jer- or I keep wanting to say Genesis. Jeremiah 33, 22 says, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, 
So I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. So again and again and again and again, in the Old Testament, we see God's mission to multiply his people for the fame of his name, to fill the earth with his glory through his people. God is on the move, and nothing stops him. Nothing deters him. He will fill this earth with his glory. Now, how does the New Testament flesh this out? Fleshes it out uh, remarkably the same way. Pick it up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Are your fingers starting to get tired from all the flipping and or pushing buttons? <clears throat> I once was at a church uh, where uh, the, the preacher, he would ask his church to say amen whenever they got to the text. Uh, so that always made it interesting. He would stand there and wait for everyone to say amen. Uh, but Matthew four nineteen. Uh, Jesus here is calling his first disciples. In fact, I'll pick it up in verse 18. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who we know as Peter, and Andrew, his brother, it's a pretty good name, Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, doing what fishermen do. They're fishing, throwing their net in. And he says to them, what? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So, so follow me, right? That's discipleship, right? Following Christ, uh, leading, following his lead. He's Lord. We're not. We're submitting to him, and we uh, seek to have him as master over all of our lives. So follow me. I'm Lord. Follow me. And then I love that phrase, and I will make you I praise God for that phrase, and I will make you, because this whole idea of multiplying and this whole idea of being Christ-like and glorifying God is impossible in our own strength. And maybe when you hear about multiplying disciples, that overwhelms you. And here is the promise from Jesus, I will make you. I will make you, I will transform you, I will conform you, I will mold you and shape you. I, I praise the Lord that he does not leave us and abandon us. He, he says he will, he will do this as we follow after him. We will increasingly be molded and shaped into his image. That's incredibly encouraging. It's encouraging in a lot of ways. And another way that that's encouraging is... That Jesus does not say, hey, follow me when you get your life set in order. Right? I, I see you got a, a hard thing going on right there. I get that. Hey, you figure that out. You get that worked out, then come follow me. He doesn't do that, does he? Christianity is not, hey, clean yourself up, and then you can follow Jesus. Christianity is so much better than that. Christianity is come to Jesus with all your mess. Come to Jesus with your sin. Come to Jesus with your brokenness. Come to him with, with your heartache and your sorrows and your joys and, and just, just the mess that you've made out of life, that sin. And he says, follow me and I'll make you. It's not clean yourself up. It's, it's come to me and I'll, I'll clean you up over time as you follow me. That's Christianity. We're not all here because we put it all together. We're here because we haven't. And we need each other, and we need the word, and we need the spirit, and we need fellowship, and we, we need all of this through Christ as he seeks to make 
us. Make us what? Fishers of men. That's multiplication. Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Follow me, and I will teach you, and I will show you, and I will empower you to multiply disciples, to make disciples. If you were here this morning and you were trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ by, by grace through faith, he has saved you for this purpose. Make disciples. Make disciples. That's the mission. It's not simply come to church every Sunday and be nice, cram lots of information in your cranium. It's not give money to the pastors so they can do all the work. We talked about that last week, right? It's, no, I've called you, and I will make you a multiplier, a fisher of men. Disciples making disciples, whenever, wherever, whoever, in the power of God, to the glory of God. Flip to Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. Matthew chapter 9, 37 through 38. And again, I'll bump to 35 for context. Jesus went through all the cities, Villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is what? Well, that sounds like multiplication to me. Doesn't that sound like multiplication to you? The harvest is what? Plentiful. Do you believe that? It seems to me, and it's easy for me to fall in the same kind of thinking, that when, when we talk with people and relate with people, maybe wherever we are, we're going about doing whatever we're doing, we're at the gas station, we're at Dollar General, wherever you are, so I think we tend to have this idea, I've, I've shared this idea before, we, we tend to have this gauge that, that we hold up to people. Well, that person's not interested. That person, shh, they wouldn't listen, they don't care. That person, you know, we kind of have that idea. We gauge people if we think they're going to be receptive to the gospel or not. And Matthew 9, 37 and 38 is saying, hey, take that gauge, throw it on the floor, get a hammer, and smash it to pieces. Because the harvest is what? It's plentiful. It's ready. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That the harvest is ready. God has prepared them, in other words. They're ready. So what does he say we should do? We should pray that God would raise up and send out laborers into his harvest. And by the way, you better not pray that unless you realize that you're the one he's going to send out into that harvest. <laughs> send them all of them and not me, right? <laughs> We're all, we've all been sent by him. I love Warren Wiersbe, and, and he, commenting on these verses, said, when we pray as Jesus commanded, we will see what he saw, we will feel what he felt, we will do what he did. God will multiply our lives as we share in the great harvest that is ready, are already ripe. That's well said. That's well said. Matthew 25. Turn with me to Matthew 25. And we'll slow down a little bit on this one. 
this, this is always a deeply convicting passage in my life. Uh, a year and a half ago or so, uh, uh, or roughly two years ago at this point, I guess, when you guys voted me in as to be lead pastor, then the transition happened between Pastor Dan and myself. I shared with you some thoughts then uh, from this passage, the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, if I can summarize it briefly, is, is the analogy of a wealthy man, a very wealthy man, going on a journey. And as he prepares to go on that journey, he has some stewards or servants who he, he gives his money to, expecting them to invest it, and by investing it, to reap reward. And so he gives to one of his servants five talents, which is an immense amount of money. Five talents. He gives another one two and another one one. And at the conclusion of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, uh, this, this wealthy man comes back and there's a reckoning, right? He inspects their work. And just looking at this text, I see three very important truths. Number one, every Christian is entrusted with some responsibility for the kingdom, which, which is to say every one of us here have been given some sort of talents. And by that, I don't just mean uh, personality or natural talents, but spiritual gifts would also be tied into that. Uh, in other words, all that you are, all that makes you, you, God has given to you. He, he has entrusted to you these gifts we are to view our lives as a stewardship from God, as an investment from the King. I think that needs to sink deeply into our hearts this morning that all that we have, all that you have, is on loan from God. We are God's stewards. We are, another way to say that is we are God's debtors. All that we have and all that we are has been entrusted to us for Christian service. And I think that's, that's incredible that, that God entrusts us with his kingdom resources. Again, that's incredible. Why would God do that, right? Why would, why would God entrust you and I with his kingdom resources? But he has. He has placed in our hands what is his own that's an incredible privilege and responsibility. That's the first truth that kind of comes out of the parable of the talents. And I don't know if he's given you 10 or 20 or, or, or 5 or 1 talent. That, that, that's not the point. The point is he's given you his resources. Use them, right? The other thing to see from this text, I think we often miss, is that Jesus expects us to multiply what he has given us. Right? That's very, very clear from the text. Uh, verse 20. <clears throat> well, verse 19 says, Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. What's the master say? Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. 
Enter into the joy of your master. The same with the one who had two talents. He comes forward, verse 22, and says, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And, and the master replies, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you see that? Do you see how he's, he's not only entrusted us with his kingdom resources, he expects us to multiply them. Why is Jesus delaying in his return? And I, I don't know all the answers there. Obviously, none of us do, but I, I can tell you from this text that Jesus' delay is further opportunity for us to invest his resources for multiplication. That is not for us to be like, how long, O oh Lord? But it is for us to see as, as the Lord delays, as the Lord does not return, and we know he will one day, but whenever that day is, it's opportunity for us to invest, 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 multiply, multiply, multiply. And the third thing to see from Matthew 25, 14 through 30 is not only does Jesus expect us to multiply, but he is severely displeased if we do not multiply. Severely. Verse 24, he also, who ha- he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. He buried it. So here you have what is yours. Now does the master reply and say, hey, good job, good steward. You maintained that one. You didn't, you didn't lose it. It's good. Not even close. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. You should have multiplied. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will, for everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who is, has not, even when he has, will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh my word. That is a convicting passage. Jesus expects us to multiply the resources he's given to us, and if we don't, my word, you don't want to be that person. He is severely displeased if we don't multiply. Jesus is serious about multiplication. Do nothing Christianity that kind of sits on its resources is worthless, slothful, Wicked, Jesus says. That one hits hard, doesn't it? Of course, Kevin read for us Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That's all about multiplication. Uh, Flip forward to Mark chapter 4, verse 20. And hopefully the multiplication table is, is, is drilling in, right? One times one, one times two. We're seeing it all through the Bible, right? Multiplication. Mark chapter 4, 
verse 20. And this is, of course, the parable of the sower and the four different fields or soils. And Jesus explains the, the, the parable and in Mark chapter 4, verse 20. He says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Bear fruit how? 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That's amazing harvest. But that's, that's what Jesus wants. That's the good soil. The rest of the soils are not good. That's the good soil, the ones who hear the word and re- accept it and bear fruit. It's not just to hear it and receive it, but what? Bear fruits. Multiplication. Jesus expects multiplication. Uh, disciples making disciples. Disciples telling others about Jesus. And we see that in John. In John, we see that John the Baptist was a multiplier. In in John chapter 1, uh, verse 36. In fact, again, in verse 35, John 1, 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So he multiplies through using his God-given kingdom resources of preaching and teaching the word, and he proclaims and preaches Christ, behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. There's multiplication. Uh, 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So so there's following, right? They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Here's more multiplication. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, pretty good guy from what I hear, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So in other words, what is? I love verse 42, right? He brought him to Jesus. That's multiplication, right? He, he just was pointed to Christ by, by John the Baptist. He spends a day with Jesus, and then he goes and, and finds his brother and brings him to Jesus. That's, that's, that's multiplication. And then you just follow down through. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He finds Philip. I have a brother named Philip. I'm not sure if he's such a great guy. But he said to him, <laughs> he is, he's a very good guy. Follow me. There's disciples who follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Right? Connection. City of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him. We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael uh, is a little bit iffy about it. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. That's multiplication, Right? Come and see. In in John chapter 4, you have the woman at the well that Jesus meets, and initially she's very, very hesitant, but by the end of the conversation, she's persuaded, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah. And what does she do? And in John chapter 4, verse 39, she goes and finds all of her friends. Verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So the woman meets Christ, and she goes into the town, and, and that's an amazing verse. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. That's, that's multiplication. And, of course, one of the biggest examples of multiplication, you've probably been wondering when I'll get there, is John chapter 6. And John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000, or more properly, the fifteen to 20,000. And if you remember that text with me, uh, that, again, there's 5,000 hungry men. We at least know that much. I'm sure there are women and children with him. That's why I say 15 to 20,000. That's a massive crowd. And in John chapter 6, Jesus takes a little boy's lunch, five loaves and two fish, which is the Israelite happy meal, right? That's, that's their happy meal. 
It's not a Big Mac, but for them, it's five loaves and two fish. That's a Hebrew Happy Meal. So Jesus takes the loaves and fish, and he blesses the food in John 6, and he distributes it to disciples, so much so that there's 12 basketfuls left over. That miracle demonstrates the pattern of multiplication. Hear it this way. It's only as you put what you have in the hands of Jesus that it's multiplied. We tend to reverse that and think to ourselves, well, if if God will multiply what I have, I'll, I'll put it in his hands. But John 6 says, no, it's only as you take what God has already given you and put it in his hands, then he multiplies. It's not, we'll wait and he multiplies, it's we give it and he multiplies, you see? I think some of us have struggled a bit as you've heard the plan unfolding, and, and maybe you've been thinking something like, well, if God does this or this or this, if, if God multiplies, then maybe we can do that or that or that. But you see this text is saying it's, it's only as you take what you have and you put it in his hands, then he multiplies. It's not, well, if God does this, then it's, no, we put it in his hands. We trust him to do what he wants to do because he's the great multiplier. Amen? You see it also in John chapter 12. Is it drilling in yet? John chapter 12. There was no amen there, so I'm going to keep going. John chapter 12, 24 through 26. A fascinating text where Jesus speaking about his death and his glorification through death. In John 12, 24, it says, truly, truly. And Jesus always speaks the truth. So for him to say truly, truly, he's saying, listen up, pay attention. This is important. So truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So I think we know here, I'm not, I'm not great at gardening. In fact, my neighbors, Jean and Clarine, I don't know if they could see the, the weeds. I'm sure they could. That were, I'm not joking, taller than that. I can't even reach how tall the weeds were in our garden. And I had a fun night with my John Deere tractor mowing it all down. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not great at gardening, but I... I, I do know enough to know that if you don't put a seed in the ground, eventually that seed becomes what? Inert, right? The seed needs to be planted in, in the ground to die, and in its death, it, it multiplies the life that's within it, right? I think that's true, gardening. <laughs> um, but what we're seeing here is uh, Jesus telling us that if we hold tightly to our lives, and shy away from sacrifice, we will not see the full potential of what we could have been if we'd obeyed the Lord, right? Because he says, if you, if you love your life, you'll lose it. So if you, if you hang on to your life and your things and your resources too tightly, you're, it's going to have the opposite effect. You lose it. But if you hate your life in this world, you'll keep it. It'll multiply. And Jesus, of course, is teaching about his death and his death on the cross for our sins. And look at the multiplication from that death. We are reaping that this morning, are we not? Well, how about Acts? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're familiar with that passage, I believe. Uh, But Jesus, he's he's ascending, and he says to his disciples, you will receive power. 
That's why I've been saying we multiply disciples in the power of God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Connect that verse in your mind to Genesis 1 or Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, then go farther back to Genesis 1, 26 or 28, where it says we are made in his image. And why are we made in his image? To fill the earth with his glory. That hasn't happened yet, and now it's, now it's pushing forward in Acts 1, 8. The, the, the gospel, the Christian church, was designed to be aggressive. That's what I see from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus didn't ascend into heaven and give us our power so we can sit there and do nothing. Again, do nothing Christianity is worthless. Jesus has given us his power so we will be aggressive with, with, with his power and his gospel and so that his gospel will extend to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The gospel, the Christian church, was never intended to remain stationary but to advance. Yes? Amen? The Christian gospel, the Christian church is designed to advance, advance, advance. Go, go, go in the power that I give you and in my presence and for my glory. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, Peter preaches the word. And in Acts 2, 47, or earlier than that, many come to Christ, 3,000 fold. And the church gathers, devotes themselves to fellowship, teaching, preaching, and praying. And then in Acts 2, 47, we see they're praising God. They have favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Have you ever read that verse and just fell on your knees and cried out to God that he would do that in our day, in our midst? Day by day, by day, by day, by day, Lord, will you bring them into your midst? Fold them in. Acts 4, 4. We continue to see the multiplication. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We looked at this text a few weeks ago, uh, but it says, In those days when the disciples were doing what? Increasing in number. And then Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied what? Greatly. That's Acts 6, 7. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we read, The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It did what? Shockingly, it multiplies. Genesis, or I keep on saying Genesis. Acts 12, 24. Herod dies, wrongly takes praise. God strikes him down. Herod dies, withers away. The word of God, verse 24, increased and multiplied. In Acts 13, we've looked at that text before, roughly, I don't know, six, six months ago. In Acts 13, the, the gospel catches fire there. They send out some guy named Paul who starts a church planting movement, which we are, again, reaping today. We exist today because of Antioch and the Antioch moment where they fasted and prayed, fasted and prayed, and fasted and prayed, and God sends out laborers into the harvest and the gospel spreads like wildfire. So much so that they say these disciples are filling every town and turning the world upside down. And it started with just 120 disciples back in Acts chapter 1. 120 disciples, and the gospel explodes. 
That's a significant number because we average roughly 140, 150 each Sunday. And sometimes we're tempted to think, well, what can a church our size do? Well, read, the, read Acts. Read Acts. <laughs> God's the great multiplier, and he wants to multiply. Will we multiply in obedience to him? And we see it throughout the rest of Scripture. We see it in Colossians 1, 5 through 6. Uh, we'll see it in 2 Timothy 2, 2. We want to look at that one real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And listen to the multiplication. What you have heard from me in the presence of many faithful witnesses and trust to faithful men will also be able to teach others. So you have four generations there. You have Paul, Timothy, faithful men, other faithful men. And, and so you can kind of picture how it starts up here and it just it spreads, right? Multiplication. Now, I've said all that I've said this morning so far, and maybe you think I'm in the clouds. And 2 Timothy 2 shows us multiplication is expected, but multiplication will also be difficult. Because the next verse, after Paul just exhorted Timothy to teach what I've taught you to others, who will teach others, who will teach others, multiply, 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 verse 3, he then says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So, he, so soldiers, it's, it's going to be hard. You've got to endure. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So an athlete has discipline and endurance. Verse 6, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. So patience, right? Farming teaches patience. <laughs> Tremendously so. And so if you hear all this and... Multiplication, multiplication, multiplication. You think, my word. Yes, it's going to be hard. It will require suffering. It will require patience. But don't forget verse 1 where it says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He will strengthen us. And then, of course, Revelation 7, 9. That way we've completed the, the circle. We've gone from Genesis to Revelation in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we're, we're given this glimpse uh, in, into the future where Jesus finishes the mission. Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Mission accomplished. This unfathomable number of disciples, dead sinners brought back to life. God will redeem people from every tribe and tongue and nation. So Orangeville Baptist Church, this morning you've seen from cover to cover that God is on the move to fill the earth with his glory by multiplying disciples. God is the great multiplier, and God is offering to me and to you, to all of us, this incredible privilege of working hand in hand with him in completing the plan which he set in motion before the beginning of time. Jesus will build his church, amen? 
He will build his church. He will have his own image bearers from every tongue, from every tribe, and every nation. What is our response to this truth that that God is the great multiplier? I, I hope our response to this truth is let's get on our feet for his mission. Amen? If, if God is the great multiplier, we've seen that, and hopefully that's been drilled into us this morning, then let's get on our feet for his mission. Let's embrace the task, which is to say, that's what it means. When you say, I believe in Jesus, he is Lord of my life, that is to accept the commission to go and make disciples starting right in your own home, Right? When Jesus moves in, you move out. You get on your feet for his mission. We've been saved for this purpose, to make disciples for the glory of God. That God is the great multiplier should, should stir your heart. It should loosen your tongue. It should rattle your routine. It should reorient your thinking. It should get you off the couch. The joy of being God's representative, the joy of being used by him to tell about him, to proclaim his glories and excellencies, that should be the white, hot passion of your life. It's the passion of the ministry action plan. Multiplication is the goal of organization. Multiplication is the goal of equipping and strengthening the church. By God's power and presence and for his glory, we want to multiply disciples. And if we multiply disciples, we multiply everything else, right? If we multiply disciples, the word of God is multiplied. If we multiply disciples, evangelistic efforts are multiplied. If we multiply disciples, servants are multiplied, leaders are multiplied, pastors are multiplied, ministries are multiplied, growth groups are multiplied, strong and healthy churches are multiplied. If we multiply disciples, everything else multiplies. I'm just going to lay my heart out to you for a second or two here, or a minute or two here, that I, I, I believe with all my heart that, that the best way for an increasing number of people to experience transformation, that the best way to multiply disciples is not simply through growing our church, but it's through planting new churches and revitalizing weak churches and reviving dead churches. That the best way, again, to multiply is to plant new churches, to revitalize struggling churches that will plant more churches and revitalize more struggling churches. Doing so will reach a whole lot more people than just adding more seats and services. And that it is my hope and my prayer when it comes to multiplication that in God's time and with God's direction and with God's power and presence and hope and grace, that as we seek to be better organized and to strengthen our church, that we would be made so strong by him that we would be used by him to plant tons of churches and revitalize churches that are struggling. I hope to do so by partnering with other sister churches. We are better together. Every church has unique strengths and resources 
that if combined would make a difference that couldn't be ignored. There are too many churches that are like silo ministries, just doing their own thing, not networking with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would say to you this morning, we don't have time to waste. <clears throat> I Googled this, I, or I shouldn't say I Googled it. I, I Googled it and I tried to dig into it deeper, and I did. I spent quite a bit of time on this and, and checked this with a few other uh, statisticians, people who are involved with, with church planting, and, and they mentioned this, that out of the 330 million people who live in the United States, I just want to paint the picture for you. So there's 330 million people in the United States. 250 million of them are unchurched. Now, I told you I'm bad at math, so I had to really think on that one. That's 76%. which makes our nation one of the largest unchurched countries in the world. In fact, we're the third largest unchurched nation in the world. Did you know that? Hear it this way, in 1920, there were 27 churches for every 10,000 Americans. So flash forward 100 years, there are now nine churches for every 10,000 Americans. So even though America has more people, it has fewer churches per person than at any time in history. Another way to think of it is, while the number of churches in America, and we praise God for this, have doubled during the 20th century, the population of America has quadrupled. Remember that as a church, and if you've looked at Ken Floyd's consultation paperwork, all that he's done, that we scored lowest on evangelism, on multiplication. And also recall with me that when Ken Floyd was here, he shared with us that every church he consults with, they all score the lowest on evangelism. And I'm telling you, Orangeville Baptist Church, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. That should never be. <laughs> need to flip that on its head, yes? God is a missionary God. He is the great multiplier. And I know we, we, we can't do anything about 2021. 2021 has come and gone, but we can do something about 2022 and beyond. We can. If you can think of the plan this way, it's, it's, it's planting a seed or, or it's planting a tree. You ever, you ever hear that saying, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is what? Today, right now. So the ministry action plan, this thing that Josiah told me to wave around this morning. We're planting a tree in 2022. That's what we're trying to do. And hear this. Study after study has shown that churches with a focus on multiplication grow both spiritually and numerically versus churches that don't focus on that. I just say that because I want you to think about that for a second and turn with me, and we'll wrap it up this way with Psalm 67. And I appreciate your patience with me. I, I know the last, last few Sundays I've been, I've been preaching long messages. I, I love your love for God's word. Um, I appreciate your patience as, as we think through these things. But Psalm 67, I want to just connect the dot. 
from Psalm 67 about all that we've said this morning. Psalm 67, we don't know who wrote it. I mean, we know the Spirit of God inspired someone to write it, but it's, it's not attributed to David or anything like that. It just says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. Verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, which means pause and consider. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. We, we sometimes sing the song, God is so good, right? God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, he's so good to me. But do you ever stop and ask, why? Why is he so good to us? Why is God so good to us? It's certainly not because we deserve it, we know that, or because we earned it. Verse 2 answers, why, why is God so good to us? Why, does he, why is he gracious to us? Why does he bless us? Why, why make his face to shine upon us? Verse 2 is the why. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all the nations. Why is God so good to us? Why do we cry out to him that he would be gracious to us and be good to us? Multiplication. That's what verse 2 is saying, right? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among whom? All nations. Draw that right back to Genesis 12, 3. Why does God bless Abraham? So that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. Why has God made us in his image? So that the world will be filled with the glory of God. It all connects here. Why? Why should God be gracious to us? So that his way may be known among all the peoples. Adam and Eve were to multiply as image bearers who reflect God's glory. Instead, they sinfully disobeyed and multiplied sin and death. So God purposed to bring blessing through Abraham, through his seed, his offspring, his son, Jesus Christ, through whom life is multiplied. We praise God this morning for his salvation. He has saved us from sin, but it's not just that he saved us from something. He saved us for something. So what I'm trying to do this morning, if you can... Maybe picture your computer or the back of your TV. You ever find like a dangling wire and you're like, huh, what does that hook into, right? I'm trying to connect that wire for you this morning and, and just think about this, that your salvation is not for you. The psalmist prays that as God's people are blessed, that God's purposes of blessing all people with salvation would be accomplished. In other words, God blesses his people for the sake of evangelism, for the sake of discipleship, the sake of mission, the sake of multiplication. God doesn't give us resources so we can be comfortable. God doesn't give us resources so we can hoard them to ourselves. He doesn't give us resources for our enjoyment and benefit. Why? Why does he give them? What's verse 2 say? He gives them so that the whole world might praise and rejoice in the God of the universe. 
Now think about that with strategic planning. If, if God is the great multiplier, if God blesses us so we can bless others with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can make his way known, then God is, hear this, God is most likely to bless us when we are planning and praying and longing in accordance to his desires, Right? That makes sense? If, if multiplication is God's heartbeat, then who is God going to bless? He's going to bless those who have that same heartbeat. If I could say it this way, we experience God's blessing most when we are most involved in fulfilling his purpose. What's his purpose? Multiplication in his power for his glory. You see? We see this movement of God. He's on the move to multiply disciples, to fill the earth with his glory. He's on a mission for his way to be known among all the peoples. He's on a mission for saving power to extend to all the nations. So the ministry action plan is this big, loud, yes, God, we see that. We see this mighty river that's flowing through the scripture of multiplication, and we want to jump in that and take us and throw us wherever you're going to take us and throw us. We don't want to go over here, like I said, and channel out our own little river. That's crazy. But we see how, how God is, is all about multiplication, and so we want to be intentional about it. So we're, we're, the ministry action plan is, is saying, we're not going to be that person who buries the talent. We're going to invest all of our resources into it that God might multiply it. We're going to cry out to God in prayer, oh God, please bless us. Please make your face to shine upon us. Please strengthen us, God. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your presence. Rend the heavens and come down. Rain down your blessings upon us. Help us to be the godliest, healthiest, strongest church we can be. Help everyone in our church to know their spiritual gifts. Help us to equip the saints for ministry. Help us to speak the truth in love. Help us to be doctrinally sound. Make it so every member of our church is doing its part. Help us to get our church in order. Help us to be organized. Help us to shore up our foundation, to fill the holes. Help us to have deep discipleship, not dead-end discipleship. Help us to make disciples and mature them to love one another so well and to be Bible-soaked. Why? Why do we cry that? Why do we pray that out to God? Not because we're so good. Not because we deserve it. Not because we think we're better than anyone else not because we, we want to be cul-de-sacs or hoarders. Why? So that we can share it. So that we can share it. So we can pass it along. So we can strengthen others. So we can, as our vision statement is, multiply disciples until all of Barry and Elegant County are saturated with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a God. And I hope your heart is beating this morning with his heartbeat. Oh, God, be gracious to us. So how are we going to do it? We need to pray. We need to pray for unity, pray for courage, pray for fruitfulness, pray for God to do a miracle. It takes the sovereign work of God. We need to get on our feet for God's mission. 
I hope this message kind of gets you dreaming a little bit about how God can use you and will use you to multiply disciples. It should be unthinkable to us for the cause for which Christ came and lived and suffered and died that that should not be the heartbeat and the cause of your life. Be captured by a vision of what happens in our church and bury in Allegan County if the Holy Spirit were to fall upon us in this way. And like we said last week, we need every part doing its part, every member doing its part. We must not waste our lives on personal security and happiness and comfort. We're not promised that in this world. This world does not promise you comfort and peace and happiness. Jesus promised you something better himself, and you find your comfort and peace and happiness in him. And therefore, because we find our peace and happiness and comfort in Christ, we take risks. We embrace risk. And so this ministry action plan is saying, step into what is uncomfortable. I want to say it this way. Does do parts of this plan make you uncomfortable? Praise God. We're doing something right. If this made you comfortable, if you looked at that and you're like, yeah, we can do that. My personal opinion, it's not worth doing. This plan, you should look at that and shake your head and go, there's no way we can do that. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. And so we cry out to God, oh God, be gracious to us, bless us, make your face to shine upon us because we want to be used by you in any way, shape, or form that you will for your praise and for your glory. This plan should make you uncomfortable. There's parts about it that make me uncomfortable. I look at it and I'm not sure how that will turn out and I'm not sure how this is going to go and I know lots of us have questions and they're good questions, but here's what we know. God wants to bless us and he blesses those who are most committed to seeking fulfill his mission. His mission is to multiply disciples. We have set our mark. And it's such a joy to think about. It excites me to no end to think about how the Father could work for his praise through us. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, as we just think about the kind of God that you are, a God of unimaginable power and a God who is set on a mission to glorify his name, a God who is on a mission to fill this earth with his glory and a mission that will be accomplished. Father, as as we think about that, we, we recognize and we know that there are perhaps even some in our midst this morning who are not living for your glory, They're still lost in their sins. They're glory robbers, glory hoggers. Lord, I ask for whoever that might be in our midst that you would just do a great work in their heart and help them to see that the glory of this world, self-glory, is worthless, it's trinkets, it, it, it leads to misery. Wake each one of us up here this morning to the glory of your name. Help us as Christians individually and corporately not to be self-centered, not to be uh, hoarding the resources, not to be like like the one-talent person who buries it. The Lord, help us to use all the kingdom resources that you've given us for your praise 
and for your glory. Lord, please be gracious to us in that way. Please please bless us in that way. Please, please help us in that way. We don't want to do this in our strength. If you're not with us, if you're not for us, then Lord, we, we want nothing to do with it. But Lord, we, we offer this plan up to you with, with open hands, saying do with it what you will. Change it, adapt it, tweak it, throw it out, do whatever you need to do, Lord, to, to glorify your name and, and multiply disciples. We just, we just want to do that. So Lord, please help us and guide us and direct us in this way as, as a church as we seek to move forward in ways, in wise ways and in God-glorifying ways, but also in ways that require risk and require faith and requiring us being uncomfortable. And in our uncomfortableness, Lord, Father, help us to throw ourselves upon you with reckless abandon. Help us, Lord, not to uh, be fearful and be filled with what-ifs Help us, Lord, to focus on the truth of who you are and help us to wisely think and plan and act in such a way that's in accordance with who you say you are in Scripture. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few times I've waved this around. Have I waved it around enough, Josiah? Do I need to, like, do a few more things with it? I want to encourage, if you have not gotten this yet, before you leave today, please do not leave without taking it. I believe we're shooting for one, one per family. I, I, I do just want to mention also that the plan is uh, to vote on this the last Sunday of January. So I believe that's January 30th. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at dates either. Uh, so January 30th, I believe, is the vote date for this. It's, it's a, whatever the last Sunday of January is. What I want you to understand about this plan is when you vote on this plan... You are voting on the philosophy of this plan. You're not, you're not voting on uh, people. You're not voting on even budgeting for this. All you're voting on for January 30th is saying, yes, I agree with the philosophy of this plan. I agree with this vision. I agree with, with, with its heartbeat. And then our plan is, should Lord willing the plan pass, that in the future we'll map out more what it looks like and we'll take it one day at a time. And we'll trust the Lord to fold it out. He folds it out. Just to keep using that analogy, we're, we're holding this up to God and saying, this is yours. Do with it what you will. Adapt it, tweak it however you want. And if God adapts it or tweaks it, that's good because his ways are way better. Uh, so just please keep that in mind. And, and please prayerfully, carefully read through it. Think about what it says. Uh, if you have questions... I encourage you to, to talk to myself or someone who's on uh, the, the strategic leadership team. Uh, and I'm going to blank who all those people were. It was a dozen or so. Uh, Josiah was on it. I was on it. Dave was on it. His wife was on it. Wes was on it. Chuck, Chuck was on it. Um, who else? Merlin was on it. Tim was on it. I feel like I'm missing people. Wayne, Wayne and Cindy were on it. There might have been others. If you could just find them.